This is Sustainable-ish with me, Jen Gale, and it is great to have you here. Listen in each week and I hope I can brighten up your day and leave you feeling inspired and excited about the magnificent human being that you are and the power that you have to create a better world. You won't find any expectations of eco-warrior perfection here. There's no obligatory tree hugging. You won't be judged if you drive a car, wear leather shoes, or eat the odd pack of Haribo every now and then. I'll be sharing my own gems of wisdom for sustainable-ish living, and I also relentlessly scour the internet for people doing amazing things to tackle the big environmental issues that we're facing, and I hound them until they agree to come on and inspire us all with their fabulousness and the positive change that they're making. So sit back, listen in, and get ready to change the world one baby step at a time. Hello, hello, welcome to Sustainable-ish and episode 114. In this episode, I am chatting to James Murray, editor of Business Green and contributor to a recently published book called How to Raise a Global Citizen. A book which has the tagline, For Parents of the Children Who Will Save the World. No pressure, right? (laughs) James and I chat about why we're both not really that keen on that particular tagline, the pressure that's on parents in our rapidly changing world, what it means to raise a global citizen, and we share some thoughts and ideas for how we might start to do just that. As always, if you enjoy the show, please do leave a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help to get more ears on the podcast which in turn hopefully inspires more people to take imperfect eco-action, which is, after all, what it's all about. Enjoy, and I will catch you next time. Take care. Hello, James. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. Fab. Really uh, looking forward to digging into this with you, but can you kick off by introducing yourself? Yeah, so I am the editor of a website called Business Green uh, that does what it says on the tin and covers the green economy and green businesses and the, the grand movement towards net zero. And I'm also a contributor uh, to this new book uh, called How to Raise a Global Citizen. Excellent. Now, I should probably get you back on to talk about Business Green and all things green business and things because I'm already thinking, oh, my God, I've got loads of questions to ask you about that. But we're here today to talk about this book. And I'm going to hold it up, which is completely pointless on a podcast, but um, we've got a couple of people joining in live, how to raise a global citizen. Um, And there's, I don't know how many contributors, quite a few, aren't there? My first question, actually, that I wanted to ask you is it says, meet the bloggers. And I was like, I I don't see you as a blogger. How did you feel about being introduced as a blogger? Oh, well, I'm I'm perfectly happy with that. I I think I was was approached um, to contribute to it and was absolutely delighted to be approached, to be honest. It's the first book I've ever been involved with because of a kind of blog slash essay I wrote um, a couple of years ago now about being a dad of two young boys in the age of the climate crisis mm. called I called it Noah's Rainbow which was a incredibly pretentious nod to Bob Dylan lyrics um, yeah Noah's Rainbow the idea of beauty in times of trauma basically is is what it what it was um, that was the as I say my pretentious framing for that essay uh, and that was on a blog. That was on the editor's blog of Business Green. So oh, I'm, okay. I am 
I am a blogger, I suppose, um, as well as an editor and writer and all that. And is that still available? Can I link to that? I'll link to that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So basically what I, I, when the boys were born, um, when my first son was born, which is now six years ago, I sort of allowed myself one piece a year that I would write (laughs) that would be a sort of heartfelt um, personal Mm. piece. Um, You know, day day to day, I write about business and economics and politics and all that Mm. sort of stuff. And, you know, you don't want to be too mawkish and alienate your normal audience who are expecting <laughs> to read the kind of normal kind of stuff you write about. But I wrote a piece when Callum was born um, called, I think, The Joy and the Fear. And then my intention was to write one piece a year uh, and parenthood got in the way and work got in the way. So I think I've I think in those I think in those six years, I've managed to do four. But the most recent one was called Noah's Rainbow. Um, and uh, yeah, I can I can send you all the links and please, please feel free to edit to them. Cause they're, yeah, they're probably the pieces I'm proudest of, to be honest. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very different way of writing, isn't it? If you're used to writing very almost sort of factual and quite um, trying to give a rounded view and all that kind mm. of thing. Um, so what's your background? Um, I, well, I'm a journalist, I suppose. I've been a journalist for my entire career. I, I initially wrote about IT and technology, and that was my first job out of university. And I wasn't a particularly good IT journalist because I don't really understand it and I'm not massively <laughs> interested in it. But I got given in the kind of mid-2000s, I got given the green IT beat on the magazine that I was working for. And of course, Silicon Valley tends to be first on most things. And they were kind of first on this idea of businesses being a bit more environmentally mm. responsible. Not that they always lived up to that, but they kind of engaged with it first. And they were looking at reducing energy use in their data centers and making their products a bit more recyclable and all these sort of things. And I was writing about that for a year or 18 months or so. And I just looked at it and just went, this movement isn't only going to happen in the IT industry. This mm. is going to happen in every industry. It's going to change the world. It, it kind of has to. Mm. Um, and of course, this was around kind of 2007, 2008 in the build up to the Copenhagen Climate Summit that was meant to be the big breakthrough moment and, and sadly failed. You were at that point getting more and more of these businesses from multiple industries saying, we're going to take this stuff seriously now. We're going to we're going to drive it forward. You know, the UK got its first Climate Change Act. So you had sort of politics and policy argument. You had David Cameron hugging a husky and, you know, Ed Miliband. He a lot of things, didn't he, David Brown. Cameron? He really did. He did. <laughs> um, you know, you, you kind of had this movement that was building. So at that point, I went to my publisher and just said, I was only 26, 27 at the time. I just said, there's a space here in the market for a kind of green business title mm. because... The conventional business title still saw it as kind of this sort of hippie-ish mm, niche. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, and the more mainstream titles that the environment seriously have kind of all businesses are evil take, which is you know I'm I'm simplifying it, but that you know that was that was there. And I just thought there's got to be a sort of middle ground for mm. businesses that are genuine and are wanting to change things. And yeah, and it's been a bit of a battle at times, but 14 years on, we're still we're still going. Amazing. And so you mentioned your kids then. So you've got a six-year-old and how old's the other one? So the other one's just turned four. Okay. Um, yeah. So we've, we had we had coronavirus lockdown with a five-year-old and a, a three-year-old um, in a small flat, which was, a, which was a glorious time. I, wanna, I, wanna, I mean, lots of people had it worse, but that was, that was fun times. But yeah, so we've got two boys, um, Callum and Fraser, and they are, yeah, six and just turned four. Okay. Um, so, so did you say the little one's just about to start school? Is he? Yeah, yeah. Oh wow, be, so he's gonna be one of the babies. One of the youngest in the year, yeah. But he's very ready for it. He's, is um, he? Yeah, he's he's got an older brother to copy, and he's um, climbing the walls. To be honest, he's, he's, about, <laughs> he's ready. So you're counting down the days because we're recording this towards the end of the summer holidays. So you're counting down the days to to them going back. 
so this book, can you give us a kind of, um, it's called How to Raise a Global Citizen, which um, feels quite a lot of pressure just from the title. Mm. Can you give us a precy of it? I mean, it's it's hard to, because it's as I say, it's got different contributors and um, as I say, it's a, it's a wonderful sort of wide ranging um, read. And uh, Anna Davidson is sort of the, the lead author pulling together the bulk of it. And then there's myself and, and five or six other contributors. I mean, as a general price, it is kind of, as I say, that's what it says on the tin. It's it's for the parents of the children who will save the world is the is the tagline, which is probably maybe a bit more pressure than you yeah. want to put on. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that's a sort of slight, I think actually the book itself is probably a bit more wide ranging um, and, and more accepting of the fact that it's not just the children who have to save the world. It's our generation, too, that has got to make a, an inordinate amount of progress before mm. the generations come of age. It's a sort of exploration of, I suppose what it's like to be a parent at this time and mm. at a time of I hesitate to say unprecedented because history is very eventful but what feels like a time of kind mm. of unprecedented disruption and pressures and sort of really turbulent change both for the better and for the worst and and how you ensure that you're bringing children or, or raising children that can kind of engage with that and cope with that I mean I, I think the couple of pieces that I wrote within it sort of try to stress the, the sense that it's not really asking anything new or different of parents than has been the case throughout human history it's, it's just trying to prepare them as best as possible for the world they're going to have to live in yeah and you know you, you kind of get the criticism of sometimes these types of books or these types of positioning that says oh you're scaring children it's, like, it's not about scaring them at all it's, it's just being honest with them and treating mm. them as human beings rather than you know we we, we too often treat them as kind of these little alien things rather than what they are which is mm. actual people you know childhood yeah, yeah, is yeah. part of part of life so it is you know it's a, a way of hopefully it's got some good tips and a wide range of tips as i say it's got different perspectives from different writers mm. you know not everyone will agree with every part of it but you know some sense of how we prepare children for this really dynamic fast-changing in some cases, incredibly scary, and in some cases, incredibly inspiring world in which we live. Yeah. And obviously that global part of it comes into it because it is, you know, it is now a hyper-connected world, whether we like it or not. We're not confined by singular identities. Yeah. And nas singular national, national identities. It's, it's more complicated than that. And just trying to give children a sense of that. Yeah. And it's great having those, having those different voices. And I'm just looking at the, at the chapters here and um, so I'll just read them out to give people a little flavour. So there's love the planet, be a friend and talking in there about friendship values and identity and um, talking, build a community, speak out, play together and explore together. So it does cover a really wide range. And, and this idea of, as the title says, being a global citizen of trying to be kind of inclusive and talking about, you know, it's not just the whole environmental justice as social justice and all those kinds of things in there as well, isn't there? It's it's done very well at kind of bringing a lot of really complex issues together and kind of distilling them into, into one book, actually, because probably each of them could be a book on its own. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, my piece is mainly on the environmental and the economic stuff. But as you say, there's lots in there on kind of social justice relationship, you know, how you yeah, how you sort of respond to those changing norms. And, and again, what I like about it is not in a kind of didactic way. I, th I think it does accept throughout the book that a lot of these issues are contentious mm. and, and are still open for debate. And I, I think it's about arming children with 
you know, an understanding that there is uncertainty there and there are areas that are still very difficult and controversial and we're not making progress as quickly as we should. But, you know, just trying to have that North Star of we want a sort of safer, healthier planet and society for all. And you touched on this a little bit, that, that sort of tagline for the parents of the children who will save the world. Now, I had it sort of by the side of the bed where I was reading it. And my I've got two boys, they're 12 and 10. And my 12 year old was like, oh, am I going to save the world then, am I? And I was like, um, I, 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 well, and I, <laughs> it's, um, and I know that that, that argument's been raised to get, you know, with the, the sort of youth climate strikes and things and, and, and the young people themselves have said, look, you know, this isn't, why is this all being on us? And all these people going, oh, brilliant. The young people are stepping up. That's amazing. They're going to come in and, and sort of save the world. And almost that like, that's letting us off the hook or that, that mm. we're just sort of passing the buck onto, onto them. You must have some thoughts on that. What can I say? The publisher probably won't appreciate me for saying this. I, I don't particularly like that subtitle myself. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, it's part of a project, to be honest. Um, I mean, I've, I've always bristled against that idea of children save the world, partly because it was being used when I was a child right yeah so yeah yeah. it's kind of you know it's always been this kind of think of the kids um narrative that's been used and i yeah i kind of bristle against that slightly because it does risk deferring action by another couple of decades mm, obviously mm. we don't have the time to do and i mean i've always made the point that kind of the transition to a net zero emission economy the kind of the attempt to avert a rolling climate crisis states we're aspiring to do that by 2050 which means that i as a man of one would only be 70 at that time mm. you know it, it's it, it's a case of don't think of your kids think of your retirement mm. yeah, with, yeah. This, with stuff you know there's people in middle age will see whether or not we deliver on these big grand decarbonization mm. goals and they will also see the impact that will escalate if we don't so mm. um i think there's an I can understand why sort of Greta Thunberg and, and some of these other campaigners do bristle against that idea of, oh, don't, don't just put it on all on us because we need to make the changes literally right now and should have been doing previously. However, that, so I don't get in too much <laughs> trouble with the publishers, yeah. is, is that, you know, say we do that over the next 10, 15, 20 years and we do transform the way the world operates and we do avert some of these big crises that are coming, that's not kind of game over. It doesn't mm. stop them. So the children now that are going to be coming of age and be becoming decision makers in that period, in the 2030s, in the 2040s, mm. those are still critical periods when we're still going to be having to maintain this transition to a more sustainable, equitable economy, hopefully. Mm. So kind of saving the world is a constant process. So it is on those kids a bit. They are going to have to come through with a set of values and understanding yeah. and skills that will um, enable... Uh, you know the continuation of hopefully building a more kind of globally multilateral safer you know more prosperous world for all um so i think uh, you know so having having said i can understand the the concerns with that title that I, I think it is defensible in in that regard yeah i was talking to somebody um during the holidays actually who's a, a teacher at a school and talking about the the kind of the role that schools potentially can play and how actually you know not only well sort of educating the the children around how how to I guess how to be that global citizen but that you know this idea that that these kids are the kind of CEOs the business owners the employees of the of the future and if we can 
instill in them this sense of empowerment of the changes that that they can make then you know rather than them having to do as we've done and kind of learn on the hoof and and sort of be pushing against a or you know be part of a sort of sea change that hopefully if they're all had that broad um sort of education around these sorts of things then ideally hopefully it would be much easier for them to be able Mm. to kind of step into that yeah absolutely and I, i think that's one of the big campaigns we're seeing at the moment is to make the curriculum and and the, both at the right from primary through to university level it's the purpose for a kind mm. of net zero emission economy because that's what we're planning to build within two or three decades so there are entire skill sets and entire industries that we are going to move away from and equally new industries and new skill sets that are desperately going to be needed I, mean, I was struck the other day that you know the uk has this target that we're going to end the sale of conventional internal combustion engine cars mm. by 2030 and I was looking at it and think well my, my son will never learn to drive a car or I said that to my to husband I was like a, yeah with a gear my, stick. the kids they won't, won't need to. learn to yeah 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 no. I was like and will they eventually teach this is just the most stupid thing I was like um will they eventually teach them that you know accelerate a right foot brake left foot whereas even when we drive automatics everything's done with the right foot isn't it because you're used to having mm. the left foot there for the clutch that was like that was like, I was like oh and my husband and I had exactly that conversation that they'll they'll probably never learn to drive a clutch car yeah I mean in theory they will never fill up a tank of petrol yeah that's and that is entirely true because I mean my sons will be he'll be 15 in 2030 so by the time he's driving petrol cars should be should be really mm. on the way out they really should be pretty rare um or, or increasingly so so you know just little shifts like that when yeah. you, you, you can kind of physically envisage it makes you realize how yeah we do need to teach them a, a, a different set of certainly sort of technical skills but then what yes. comes with that and the values come with that too and, and a sort of different set of values a different set of understandings of impact and 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 the sort of complexity of of modern economies in the modern world yeah, I guess one of the things that's potentially difficult is I feel like a lot of the time with us as grown-ups, there's this disconnect between the values that we, you know, if every if I would like to think if I said to, you know, any of my friends, do you care about the environment? Do you care about your children's future? They would say yes. But there's a big disconnect between that and then the actions that they're taking. And there's, you know, I would hope everybody cares about social justice and Black Lives Matter and all those sorts of things. But the 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 society that we live in, the behaviours that are kind of normal for us don't necessarily, we don't live by those values some of the time. And that can be really uncomfortable when that's when you're sort of forced to confront that. And in a way, that's kind of what this book is asking you to do. It's asking you to parent to your values. And that can be really difficult. It's difficult to live your values a lot of the time and to, to then that extra you know parenting to those values feels really difficult when you're being asked really sort of basic fundamental questions by your kids that you kind of haven't got the words to answer mm. um yes <laughs> all, all of that <laughs> I mean just all of that I mean I, I I mean again one of the things I hope has kind of got across and certainly that I always think try and get across and one of my good friends who's sort of environmentalist says this quite a lot it's just like we are just little bags of monkey brain and water basically and this stuff is hard and we're all Mm. hypocrites everyone's a hypocrite I mean I just think that media sort of fixation on calling people hypocrites is just the one of the worst sort of problems that we have because no one's perfect with with, you know probably with zero exceptions we all find this stuff difficult we're in the Mm. midst of huge flux and change we've just been through a deeply traumatic 
18 months, two years, that's still not over um, mm. with, with the coronavirus crisis. I mean, and you just, I mean, we've certainly found that you, living your values and parenting your values is really difficult. Everyone snaps sometimes, everyone can get frustrated and, mm. and not stick to what they aspire to be. And I just think we kind of just need to sort of a degree accept that and be understanding of it and not beat ourselves up too much about the imperfections whilst gradually chipping away at the sort of big mission and the big change mm. projects that we we have ahead of us and that we're engaged with currently yeah I, I mean there's no sort of easy fix to that beyond trying to do your best basically. yeah and I guess the first step is you know is I guess when when we're when we're thinking about having children or when we're expecting we all think about the kind of parent that we want to be probably in terms of Oh, I mean, I remember saying, I'll never tell my children to shut up. And now I'm like, will you just shut up? <laughs> um, but this is, I don't know if this in, this sort of comparison is going to work, but I, I remember because we spent a year buying nothing new several years ago now. And it was the first time when Christmas came around, I'd really thought about how do we want to have Christmas? Like, what do we want Christmas to mean to our family? What do we want it to be about? What memories do we want the kids to have? Because but prior to that, it was just like, this is Christmas. This is how it's done. This is how my parents did it. This is how my husband's parents did it. We mash it all together. Um, it's, you know, didn't even, you know, it was just all about what presents we were going to get rather than like, why are we buying this? You know, who, what are we trying to, to do here? All that kind of thing. And I, when you sort of um, start to think that way about everything, you know, like when, when you're a parent, so much of it is just off the cuff, isn't it? Just very reactive, and so actually trying to find the time as maybe a first step to think about, you know, in an ideal world or what on a great day, what kind of parent do I want to be? What kind of conversations do I want to be able to have with my children? How do I want to handle this one? And that's really hard because especially when the kids are tiny, you don't get that kind of headspace mm. and that kind of breathing space. But I guess it's that just slowly starting to, to, to actually allow yourself a bit of space to start to think about these things. It's not going to be a, um, right, this is how it is, wrapped up in a bow, boom, I can go and do it. But at least start to think about how you might like to be able to do it or yeah. to, to aspire to do it. Is that, like, have you had those kinds of conversations? Because I haven't sat down with my husband and had those kinds of conversations. Have you had those with your partner? Yeah, we definitely have. I mean, my wife's 100% better at this stuff than I am <laughs> to be honest and 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 has you know really taken the effort to try and work out some the, the practical techniques of maybe what we need to do to improve things I mean like we've got let's say we've got a three-year-old turned four-year-old and he's been the archetypal three-year-old he he flipped from being absolutely adorable to murderous to be honest within within seconds I mean he's he's, he's exactly that cliche and and I mean there's two things that I think have been important one is as you say my my work really hard and I've tried to sort of follow in her lead of, of trying to work out some of the techniques of trying to you know give him a bit more space and trying to be understanding mm. trying not to shout which is a rule I sometimes don't always abide by and and using the right language and all that sort of stuff and I think that's really vital that, that practical sense the other thing is is what you were just mentioning of I just think having that kind of north star of that sense mm. of kind of what we're aspiring to here what are the values that we have as a family and that we want to have as a community mm. and beyond that and the school has and, and and grandparents have just help frame it and and helps you know and it also helps you know when you're not doing it right yes um and again that's something i hope the book can help with a little bit of you know what are the core values i, I think it got cut in the edit because it's too cliched but i just i love this kind of the kurt vonnegut 
quote of about be kind. Mm. You know, that's that's kind of it. Yeah. There's not much more to it than that. And and he has another lovely one um, of we become what we pretend to be. Oh wow! So be careful what you pretend to be. I think is that line. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I also think that's really true of just the the, the aspiration is important mm. of, of what you're aspiring to be is important and you might fall short of it and that well you will fall short yes yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say you time. will yeah or i will certainly <laughs> but if you're trying to be it and you're publicly committed to being it then the pressure you put on yourself to get there will help you improve mm. things and i think that applies in parenting and just to take a little bit of a pivot here debate currently in my professional field of this idea of setting net zero targets and lots of people have been really critical of them and say oh you're setting a target for something you want to do in 20 30 years that's you know it's green watch mm. you're not actually you're not serious and i take a completely different view of like, even if you're not 100 percent serious and you don't know how to get there yet if you say you're going to do it mm. that's the first step isn't yes it? that's yeah. the kind of thing i mean they say and this is this is just psychological human thing anything you, you have a new year's resolution they say the yes. first thing you do is tell people about it Yes. Then you create the peer pressure to do it. If you're trying to lose weight, tell someone that's mm, what you're involved mm. with, and then it becomes easier. And I think that applies with parenting. I think and both I think that applies with economic decisions and yeah. investment decisions. Just kind of have that sense of what you're trying to achieve and what your what your values are to achieve it. And then that should help the decisions flow from there. And I think that's actually a really useful conversation to have as a family and I'm just thinking we've never done that we've never sat down and said what 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 are our what values do we want to have as individuals as a family I kind of assume that the kids know what my values are and therefore what I kind of expect from them but actually it's a bit like me assuming that they they know I've decided that we're going to take the crisp packets to TerraCycle even though I've never told them and I get cross at them for putting them in the bin you know it's like actually maybe I should be a bit clearer about this like if, if... Uh, yeah I, I don't know I don't know about that though what an awkward conversation I know yeah I was like right, come on, kids, gather you don't want to be that sort of fam- you know let's all have a family <laughs> conference I mean no we've never I mean you know my wife and I have sort of more about the practical stuff than that sense of values but it's just embedded isn't it it's living just, those values I guess yeah it's kind of what you all aspire to and I think yeah. it's probably it's pretty universal as well mm. I mean unless unless you've got people who've got real sort of functional challenges and, and problems yeah literally unless you are you know sociopathic everyone yes. kind of wants the same stuff don't they? yeah they, kind of, they do want to be kind and to not cause harm and yes. to help prepare their children for the world and succeed as, as best as possible and be happy and and you know that's that is completely universal and so much sort of policy and cultural war stuff just is is sort of fog against those shared ideals I think yeah so so yeah this is this is going completely off topic but like how has that happened and how when when we as adults have that disconnect between these these values that we have or we aspire to and the things that we're doing because we're busy and we're stressed and we're time poor like how how can we empower our children to kind of to 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 live those values I guess that that this I'm not being very articulate. Do you? <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I get it completely. I mean, I, I mean, hopefully the book will help. I don't. I don't. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. It does. No answers. There's no answers to that. I, I think we are at a really difficult 
period in history I, mm. I, I, you know on on multiple fronts and again I kind of I, I think I've touched on it in the book but it's like every generation feels this way don't they? every, every yes. generation feels they're like a turning point in history but if you look at it you know we are in completely uncharted territories with the climate we've pushed it past anything that human civilization has ever experienced and we've got locked in further pressures to come mm. from that we are living beyond our means in terms of environmental resources so we've put all that pressure on and then we have built the most powerful information technological machine <laughs> again in in the history of of humanity so we are really you know in uncharted territory and i think that is sort of i mean i think of our generation particularly that's sort of frying our brain slightly because mm. we, we were we were kind of brought up before any of that and we've kind of had to learn you know, we're not with digital immigrants, aren't we, rather than digital natives. <laughs> yeah. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether the generations coming through do navigate it better and find mm. it less, less um, confusing and, and disorientating. But there aren't any easy answers. And it, it's interesting that so much of sort of cutting edge public policy work at the moment in, in lots of various ways is looking to try and address those problems. It's looking oh, okay. to say, right, how do we build better communities? How mm. do we make, you know... Things more environmentally sustainable, but also try and take a bit of pressure off. I, mean, I do think some of these ideas around like a four-day working week are just absolutely fascinating. And mm. you know, when are we going to get some advance on the kind of workplace revolutions that happened? You know, during well the late period of the industrial revolution mm. when, we, when we got like the first weekend. Yes, we we got the first weekend, and we got universal suffrage. And you feel like it's been a hundred years, guys. Can we can we get can we tweak this? <laughs> can we can we get some? You know, is there is there another step we can take from here? Because is this still fit for purpose. Because yeah. this is not working for people. Yeah, it's it's not working for people. There's there's too much too many graphs and charts that show, you know, really quite worrying levels of dissatisfaction and frustration mm. and, and and pressures on on families and on on people. It's um, yeah something yeah, we should. Yeah should be looking to address right one more potentially difficult deep thinking question and then we'll move on to the, so, so the fun stuff yeah, yeah. Um, so one of the criticisms I've had sort of leveled at me um my but my second book the sustainability guide to green parenting that came out March this year and I did a couple of sort of air quotes mainstream sort of parenting podcasts with people and and I don't know if it was the timing because it was kind of you know we were still like in lockdown at the time and but I just had both of these um, podcast hosts turn around to me and say, like, literally, are you really expecting parents to take this on as well? You know, we've been homeschooling. We've got all these things going on. Everybody's so time poor. Everybody's so stressed. And now you're telling them that they've got to not take on saving the world. But, do you know, that, that, that they need to be a bit greener as well. Like almost it was a kind of how dare you? How dare you put more pressure on these parents? And um, I know how, how I answered that. But, you know, have you had that around this book as well actually yeah, I mean this is the start of, of mm, talking yeah, 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 about yeah. it so it'll be interesting to see if be if, prepared if, <laughs> yeah I'll be prepared I mean I'll, I'll probably be a little bit my slightly defensive response to that to be is but we're, we're not yeah not putting any pressure on anyone not saying this is something you have to do I mean as I said we everyone falls short I mean my, my flat is filled with plastic and unsustainable behaviors mm, and yeah, my yeah, yeah, yeah. is probably still higher than it should be and I have nothing but admiration for the people who do go further and faster and, you know, and, and live sort of full, real, low impact lives. That's absolutely fantastic. But the vast majority don't. And that's not 
fine, but that's how it is. And I think we're not, I don't think we're asking anyone to sort of change everything. Mm. All you're asking, and, and I sort of do this in my journalism as well, I think all you're asking people to do is kind of look at the context, try and engage a little with some of these challenges and mm-hmm. pressures and the world that we're living in, because you do want to raise your kids as effectively as possible for the world that we're living in. And that contains these environmental pressures that will need to be addressed and are going to be addressed over time. Things are going to change. So you surely would want to just think about that a little bit. You don't necessarily have to change anything immediately. Mm-hmm. In, the, in the same way that with every sort of social change movement, we've had to be cognizant of those changes as they happen. Mm-hmm. You know, you wouldn't have heard, well, you probably get in the 60s and 70s people going, oh, what you now want me to think about equal rights as I'm raising my children. How dare you put that pressure on mm, me? You probably didn't mm. get that. But for the vast majority who then did start to raise their children with a little bit of a sense of, no, actually, women can still go and succeed in the workplace. And actually, mm. no, it is wrong to treat different identity groups in mm-hmm. ways. Um, we've seen this massive shift in attitudes over that 20, 30 year period, all for the better. Mm. Not because everyone's immediately drastically change what they do but just they've been cognizant of what they regard as right and wrong and have tried to sort of steadily chip away yeah. at the improvement process that needs to be made so I think that my response to that would be you know no one's asking everyone to change everything at once just asking them to think about it a little bit and yeah. then the other thing that I would definitely say on this is I'm kind of I'm a bit of a militant on this whole you know individual versus systemic change mm. argument that you get I mean you get some people who say we shouldn't place any blame on individuals for anything. Mm. It's all about the economic system that they're unsustainable economic system, polluting system that they're baked into. And we need to change that. And you get other people who, and again, completely bad faith position of, well, you can't argue for anything. If you have any pollution, it's all about right. you've got to be whiter than whites individually before you can talk about these topics at all, which I think is a ridiculously bad faith position. But the answer is, as with any social and economic change it is it's always about both isn't yeah it? so those small steps you take as an individual by market and political pressure yeah. to get the policy changes that then improve the system and vice versa so those policy changes and political changes and economic and technological changes that you can push for then make it easier as an individual to have a lower impact life so anyone who yeah. sort of says why are you putting this pressure on me and it's like well maybe all i'm asking is try to think about having one meal a week yeah. that's a bit less meat or try to think a little bit about you know using public transport once a week when you wouldn't otherwise it's it's not doing everything at once and I think you made a great point in the book something around there's that statistic that goes around isn't there about there's is it 100 companies contribute to 71 percent of yeah emissions? Something like that. yeah but actually making the point that we all use the products that those companies make and those services that they provide so yes they need to be addressing what they're doing but we can also vote with our money we can also let them know that we don't like their business practices all those kinds of things we're not it's not a get out of jail free card for us because they're being bastards and doing it we're kind of supporting them in doing that um and it's recognizing the power that we have to to encourage empower them to change as well yeah i mean i do i hate i do hate to use oil industry talking points because i do think they've done some terrible things and continue to be um a a broadly obstructive force in in this transition but when they say that if we sort of close those businesses down tomorrow as some environmental campaigners call for society would collapse Mm. i mean that you know 
is true. <laughs> I wish it wasn't, but it mm, is true. Mm. And and those hundred companies are all providing products that the economy is absolutely reliant upon. Mm. So it's not as simple as saying you must change your way, Mister Polluter, immediately. Uh, I, you know, I wish it was, but it, it, mm, yeah. it not. It is much much more complex than that, and there is this deeply entwined relationship between individuals, governments, and businesses mm. that we have to unpick if, yeah. if we're to, to drive the change that's needed. We've gone really deep, haven't we? Well, I know, sorry. No, so, no, 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 it's good, Friday, it's good. Friday afternoon and we're doing um, So have you, like your kids are six and four, so that's quite young potentially to be having, you know, in-depth conversations around, um, you know, the climate crisis and, and social justice and things like that. But, you know, I, I remember, you know, having like literally a stand-up, row with my child in the magazine aisle you know about like why we weren't going to buy a magazine filled with plastic tat and things like that Mm. like are you have you found that you're sort of able to bring some of these bits into you know like you're talking about those values and that kind of thing that you're you're able to sort of I mean again I remember having a really um difficult conversation with my eldest like I can't remember we just watched a David Attenborough like in floods of tears like why 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 are we doing this like why why is this happening? Why can't we just stop? And like, I've, mm. I can't, I can't answer that. Have you had those sort of similar? Not as yet. I think they are, they're both too young. And um, I mean, you, you have my admiration for having that conversation about a magazine because we've never quite had to go there. <laughs> it, all it happened was there was a massive tantrum in the magazine. <laughs> yeah, which, which there probably would have been anyway, but there we go. Um, no, I mean, they are, they're still a bit young be honest i mean as i say calum calum six and phrases four so we haven't sort of had to have those mm. those sort of conversations about those that big picture stuff what i would say is they you know it's just a case of i think i mean they're already taught about it at school even at six. yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. mean they do they do have a sense of climate change you watch go jetters on tvs which has you know pieces about you know plastic waste and yeah and environmental degradation and the like so it is kind of instilled within the kind of the educational culture that they're living in but no we haven't had to have those difficult conversations yet about you know what does responsible behavior look like yes. and maybe there are certain things that we shouldn't be doing but yeah it will come mm. i'm sure how we'll handle it when it does but but at the moment we, we just sort of feel that i think when they're that age you just don't want to go too big too yeah. early with stuff oh yeah and I think that's, you know, everything I've read around it said, you know, they need to come to it in their own time. Do you know, like, mm. so so there's, if you're saying to your four-year-old, like, oh my God, you can't possibly buy that because you're going to kill all the turtles. Like, you're going to completely, like, mess up your four-year-old. So, you know, it is about letting letting them come to it. And, you know, like my kids, I, I really had this naive assumption that they're going to be these amazing eco-warriors and, you know, they're going to be like mini Gretas and they're going to want to go on all the school strikes. They couldn't give them monkeys. They're just mm. like yeah whatever mum you know they'll sort of go along and uh, go along with it to a certain extent but they're not certainly not sort of being the ones kind of driving change and implementing eco um councils in their schools and that kind of thing no they've got and got to find their own way on it haven't they I, I, I think you know they are again this is one of the other sort of things i think is absolutely integral you know they are their own people they're not mm. little duplicates of us i think we kind of you have to accept that so early on don't you that they're not going to do precisely what you want i know it's so it's, annoying yeah. It's frustrating. I wish they would, but, um, <laughs> but they, you know, they'll find their own way on this stuff, and it's just arming them with information and the, hopefully, the rational decision making that helps them navigate it. Yeah. So this is probably a really annoying question, and it's kind of, um, you know, one I get, one I get a lot. So I don't know why I'm asking you. 
Um, what is that like is there one thing we should all be doing either either from a practical sense you know I always talk about the you know changing your energy supply or something like that but uh, I guess also in terms of maybe broader than that kind of um, you know how we how we use our voices how we I don't know yeah I mean there's I mean there's there's all the standard stuff I think anyone who's engaged with this stuff will have thought a little bit about I mean there's someone I know quite well because there's sort of three or four things that you should do on the practical level and that you know that first one is exactly it you change your change your energy supplier and you mm-hmm. can probably do it now without costing you any more money yeah and you might even get a savings so change your energy supply is absolutely one try and eat a little bit less red meat mm-hmm. you know again i don't you don't have to say to everyone go vegan immediately but just just try and eat a little mm-hmm. bit less red meat try fly a bit less than you do mm-hmm. and try and drive a bit less than you do and if you're lucky enough to afford it look at electric vehicle mm-hmm. or cycling and active travel and those are the areas where biggest emissions lie so mm-hmm. if you make those changes that will help reduce your emissions and that will also send a kind of investment signal in favor yeah. of greener behaviors and there was a really interesting report out recently from the tony blair foundation that pointed out that kind of get the net zero based on the modeling you know really quite legitimate modeling that's out there we don't necessarily need to make these absolutely huge changes it's you know, if, if we just curbed red meat livestock production just a bit, that right. would go quite a long way. If we if we stop, if we curb the number of flights by a relatively small number and continue to make progress on greener aviation technologies, that could help mm-hmm. us get there. So all of those steps are important. And, and the other big one is, um, if you can face it, change your pension yes. provider. Get, get yourself a greener pension and explain to the companies that you're leaving why you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. When you switch your energy supplier, don't you switch your energy supplier. When the people ring up and say, please don't leave us, go, no, I am leaving you and this is why. Yeah. So those are kind of the practical things that you can do. And, you know, that's a relatively short checklist. That's something most people could do mm. at minimal cost relatively quickly. Yeah. Then the big one is, I think the US scientist Catherine Hayhoe sort of says this, and lots of people have said the same thing, is, is just talk about it. Yeah. Just talk about climate and environmental crisis with people that you meet don't just sort of duck out of it try and normalize it you know if you can write to your mp anything that kind of helps establish it completely firmly within the zeitgeist Mm. will help drive progress that's hard though isn't it do you find that i find having those normal everyday you know i will quite happily do a podcast, write a blog post, mm. post something on my own um, Facebook page. But having those, you know, I went out for for dinner with old school friends the other day and we sat there under the patio heater and they're talking about, oh God, one of them said she was going on a helicopter flight to this. And I'm just sat there cringing and I don't know what to say because I don't want to be the party pooper, the one they're going, oh God, she's off on one again. Like mm. I find that the hardest thing. Then I, I could probably in that scenario, I wouldn't say anything mm. maybe because i'm a coward but, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you know in that scenario being that hectoring person isn't gonna work mm. and and he's probably more likely to alienate and embed yes get a bit defensive reaction so yeah. i i kind of think I, I don't think it's it's talking about it in a, an attacking or critical sense i just think it's kind of talking about it when it comes up i just i mean we've i, I don't live by this as much as i should by any means but one thing i will always do is when there's sort of this kind of bonkers weather that we see whether it's mm. sort of heat wave or rain i do always just say to whoever says oh this is weird i just go it's climate change isn't it mm. and that little bit of no this is not normal yeah and we need to 
acknowledge and engage with the fact that it's not normal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, I mean, again, whenever I sort of, whenever somebody asks what I do, I sort of talk about um, environmental journalists. And then you do get that quite quickly people are really interested. I mean, the number mm. of trades people I've spoken to who, who go, oh, I'm thinking of getting an electric van. What are they like? Mm, and mm. and it's kind of, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't think we need to crowbar it in for conversation. It's yes. just that whenever the opportunity comes up, it's good to talk about it openly and honestly yeah. about the, the exciting positive part of it as well as scary parts of it yeah and I guess to that point just sort of things sharing the things that you have done in a really positive way like you know someone was saying well at this same dinner about her, her water bill or something like that but you know then it's not too far to go oh well you know we were trying to save some money so we switched energy supplier and we found a green one and they were a bit cheaper and mm. that kind of thing and to be able to to talk about these things in a really positive kind of non non-attacking non-judgmental way I think can be um can be really um useful I said we were going to go on to some more fun stuff and less deep stuff but we've totally <laughs> failed with that and this last question isn't isn't any better but how optimistic like with all that you're doing with um sort of businesses and and the business community and things how optimistic do you feel about the the future and you know where do you think we realistically might be by 2050 um just a nice, easy yeah, question. Yeah, I mean, on. to be honest, it massively comes and goes. Yeah. Um, I, I, I alternate between deep pessimism and huge optimism. Mm. I think there's definitely a chance that we can build something truly remarkable and brilliant over the next 30 years. I just, uh, I also think it's immensely, immensely difficult and we're going to have huge challenges along the way. Uh, I, I, the kind of I mean one thing I've, I've written about in the past is, is this idea it's it's not as simplistic as sort of this is what success looks like this is this mm. is this will this will show that we've done it the idea of a kind of clean tech utopia where we've effectively resolved the worst of the climate crisis and a climate dystopia where you have parts of the world collapsing and immense sort of geopolitical pressures that come with that and humanitarian crises not mutually exclusive and I think probably one of the hardest sort of bits that cognitive dissonance for environmental movement to get their heads around over the next 20-30 years is that we're going to see this remarkable positive progress. I, I have zero doubt that you know we're going to see the electrification of huge parts of our infrastructure. Mm. Things are going to get cleaner and better. I think the rewilding movement is going to give over much more land to mm -hmm. natural habitat. I think you know we've got polling showing the public more engaged than ever with this with with the idea of environmental responsibility. And I think that's only going to continue. I think we are going to raise a generation that is more environmentally and socially progressive on multiple, multiple mm -hmm. levels. So, we, so we're going to win in, in many, many ways. But I also think we're probably going to win a bit too slowly. Yes. And therefore we're going to see continued pressures and uh, atrocities and geopolitical instability on multiple fronts as the century plays out. Mm. And that will be tough and and difficult. And we and you know you, you there are worst case scenarios where governments respond to environmental pressures and the migration that comes with it, with yet more nationalism and yet more sort of Trumpist doctrine mm. and you know kind of pulling up the drawbridge style response. And I, I think you know I think there's a very real risk that we could have a, a sort of deeply sort of volatile and and difficult you know, few decades in which I will be raising our children. So it's kind of, there's all to play for. And 
there's multiple different paths between those two extreme scenarios yes. and we're definitely going to get a bit of both so if it back to sort of talking about raising children it is a sense of you know giving them some resilience i think is mm. going to be really important and 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 a sort of as sort of upbeat and philosophical outlook as possible but also a realistic one that they're going to be living through interesting times as as are we all because it's not about the next generation as i say this will be throughout the rest of our lives as well yeah the u.s writer alex stefan has a nice line that you know climate change isn't an issue it's an era right and we're kind of we are now you know sort of doomed to live through this this era of intense sort of volatility and vulnerability and and pressure but then the wonderful flip side of that is i, I interviewed the the boss of ovo energy stephen fitzpatrick a couple of years ago and, and he had this wonderful line that we're, we're privileged to be alive at this point in time because we are the first generation since i think it's about four hundred thousand years ago they think that human beings learned how to make fire and, right. and cook things so in four hundred thousand years of human civilization we are the first generation this is literally true that has to work out how to power our societies without burning stuff mm. if we can do that you know we are on the cusp of an entire new phase of truly sustainable mm. human civilization and we're, we're we're lucky enough to be alive as the ones who get to wrestle with that mission yeah and how can you not be excited and inspired by that so that, that those yeah. are sorry we've gone really deep now but those, no, no, those no, are the great. two those are kind of well the noah's rainbow go back to what i was talking about right start. That, that that's the kind of the beauty amongst the, the desolation of, of of where society is currently yeah globally and we can do it you know that we it can be done technically and and politically it can it can happen and the more people who are engaged with that mission um the easier it becomes yeah definitely and and you know we kind of we get to make a a choice don't we and a lot of the time you know those choices will be dictated by cost or time or all those kinds of things but actually holding that you you said earlier that sort of north star that kind of this is you know this is this is where we're heading for these are the you know I'm trying Mm. to make better choices more of the time I'm trying to be more patient with my kids more of the time whatever it might be but just sort of holding on to that and and keeping I say this a lot of the time you know even if it feels like two steps forwards and one back just heading in that right direction yeah there's a wonderful I was was speaking to somebody interviewing somebody recently and they came up with the for an analogy I can't, can't remember who it was so I can't credit them because it was such a wonderful line they were talking about how when they were a kid after they passed their driving test uh, their parents um, sent them on a, one of these sort of skid pan courses to oh, yeah. learn how to handle a skid and he said one of the things that struck him one of the rules of it is if you're skidding towards a tree you don't look at where you don't look at the tree right you look at where you want the car to go yeah and then you will instinctively steer and manage the skids towards it you do oh, not wow. look at the thing you want to hit yeah and, yeah 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 i mean that's almost that's such a better way of putting it than this sort of north star idea this sense of we're skidding towards a tree don't look at the tree don't look at the disaster yes. look at where you want to go i love that yeah, yeah, yeah um and i think that applies sort of on the climate crisis it applies yeah. to politically and it absolutely applies to parenting as well. Yes. You, don't, you don't look at it and go, I want to be yelling at you because you're being incredibly annoying. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to look at, no, I'm going to try and be calm and positive yes. and empathetic and find a way to resolve these issues and help us all become better people. That's, look there. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, you're not always going to get there. <laughs> of course not. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you're going to hit three. I yeah, mean, yeah, that's, yeah. That's yeah. also true. <laughs> make sure you got your seatbelt on. Yeah, make sure you got a seatbelt on and take out insurance. That's the other, <laughs> the other, the other big, big bit of advice. Brilliant. Um, so the book, I'm assuming we can get wherever we normally get books. Obviously, support your local independent bookshop. If people are looking online, then there's Hive and there's book. I think it's bookshop.org. Um, if you want to try and avoid the the big A. Presumably, there's. Is there anywhere else sneaky people can get it, or is that what you've been told That's to say? That's all true. No, all of those things. No, please do check it out. It's wonderful to say. I mean, I mean, I, I'm only in it briefly. I've only got a few contributions to it, but um, it's a, it's a wonderful team of writers, and 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 it's yeah, a really nice, and it's beautifully designed as well. It I is, know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like all of the the the, the, the DK books, it's it really is a sort of lovely, um, you know, eloquent sort of imagery, and it it does, yeah, it looks nice. And it's really dip in and outable, which I quite like, you know, and especially mm. when you're, you know, you're parenting as well and trying to kind of grab five minutes. The idea of sitting down to read a book will feel um, very alien to a lot of people. So you can just sort of dip in and out to the bits that you like. Um, so that's wonderful. And where can we where can we find you, James? So, yeah, so I'm I'm businessgreen.com is the website. Um, please do check it out. And I um, I tweet a lot at um, at James underscore BG. Brilliant. Fabulous. We will all come and check you out. Thank you so much for your time. and. Sorry for going quite so deep on a Friday afternoon, but um, you were incredibly eloquent and um, really great to hear from you. Thank you. Oh, no, thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Brilliant. Ish, you wonderful sack of loveliness with me Jen Gale. Hopefully we've fired some neurons and we've got the old grey matter thinking about what changes you can make in your life this week to live that little bit more sustainably. Do let me know what that is, I love to hear about the changes that people are making, big or small, every single one counts. If you've enjoyed the show and I hope you have, do hop over to iTunes to leave a comment or a review and then the bots at iTunes will cotton on to just how awesome it is and it will show up in more people's feeds. Or at least I think that's how it works. Thanks so much for listening. I will catch you next time. Listener.